0: Well, good morning and thank you for inviting me to join you yet again. Turn with me if you want to follow in the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians is the letter in which Paul gives us so much very valuable teaching about the church. The body of Christ, the building of God, the Bride of Christ. Coming to chapter 6, Paul uses a word that preachers use about 15 minutes before they finish preaching. (laughs) And he says, finally, finally. So here is Paul writing to these Christians in Turkey and giving them some very important teaching. Chapter 6 and verse 10, Ephesians. Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Let's pray. (coughs) Father we thank you for that often repeated call to prayer that we find in your word and we thank you for this wonderful direct access we have into your presence and we ask now for the help of your Holy Spirit who guided those who wrote each part of the Holy Scriptures to guide us now as we look into just one part of your precious word Holy Spirit of God, be our teacher, please. In Jesus' name. What does a newborn baby most need? Well, it's fairly obvious that a newborn baby needs food in order to survive, let alone grow. But what next to food is almost certainly the next important requirement of a newborn baby there's only one thing that I can think of and it's protection because a tiny tiny little seven pounder cannot begin to protect itself against a house that's gone on fire against a jealous dog that finds a new arrival in the home the child is totally incapable of protecting himself or herself And you see, you and I, when we first become Christians, we are baby Christians. Peter tells us that. We're babes until we grow and mature. And as baby Christians especially, and as adult Christians as well, we desperately need protection. The word protect means to shield from danger, from injury, from capture, from loss, It means to defend. And if we go back to start with this afternoon, to the Lord's Prayer as we call it, the teaching given by our Lord Jesus to his disciples, and think of the last ingredient in that special prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The old translators who translated the King James Version did not make a great job of this because they just made it deliver us from evil. And evil is vague. It's What is evil? It's kind of hard to define. But the minute we talk about the evil one, we know who we are dealing with. We're dealing with a person, and a very dangerous person he is. I have become very much aware in recent years, and I think I must have said this to you before, that many Christians seem a little bit blasé about this whole area of protection and probably neglect to pray protection both for themselves and for those dependents for whom they really ought to be praying, be it your spouse or your children or your, your aged parents or whoever, or somebody the Lord lays on your heart. Let's remind ourselves why this protection is so needed. It's not just needed because there are reckless drivers on our roads and there are a few terrorists roaming around. It's not just that. It's much more sinister in a way than that. Why is this protection needed for every human being? And especially for those who belong to Jesus? First of all, because of the enemy we have. In First John 5:19, John spells it out, and says there, we know the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now that sounds like very bad news, but it's not quite as bad as we might be inclined to think. The enemy we have is under the world we live in is under the control of the evil one, and this enemy is extremely active, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 we should be alert, we should be prepared, we should be ready, we should be self-controlled, because our enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now Satan has a variety of different names and titles in scripture, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul declares in verse 4, the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Have I wondered why many Christians, or non-Christians rather, can hear lots of gospel messages and even read Christian books in which the gospel is clearly stated and it all seems to pass them by completely. They simply do not get it. And one explanation of that is what is described here by Paul as the God of this age, blinding the minds of unbelievers. And I used to think when I read that, wow, wow. When we try to bear witness to Jesus and share the gospel of the non-Christians, we're up against a huge problem here, a huge, massive problem. If the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers, what have we hope? What hope have we got? And then I believe in a flash of revelation, the Lord said to me, assured me that, well, probably what's happening is that in this vast world where Satan is so active all over the place, aided and abetted by a, a vast army of evil spirits, perhaps he has assigned just one evil spirit to these people whose minds are blinded. Ah, that, that, that's a better light, isn't it? That looks much, much more hopeful. One evil spirit only. If we can take that one evil spirit out, then we're winning. And I began sometimes from praying for non-Christian friends, to pray against whatever evil spirit was blinding them to Jesus, and commanding that evil spirit to back off. Ephesians 2 reminds us that before we become Christians, we're really messed about far more than we realize. And non-Christians haven't a clue by and large as to how much they're being messed about by the evil one. Because Paul begins chapter 2 of Ephesians by saying, as for you, you were dead, spiritually dead, in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, another title of Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, says Paul, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So, in one letter, Paul says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. In another letter, he says that the God of this, the, the evil one, the Prince of the power of the air, is at work all over the place, controlling, influencing unbelievers, people who are living in disobedience to God and rebellion against God. They're all being manipulated. They don't understand a fraction of what is going on in the invisible world. But then of course we come to the passage we read in Ephesians 6 and we realise just how sinister the problem really is. Because Paul says our struggle, our wrestle, our spiritual battling is not against flesh and blood fellow human beings and that's where we make the great mistakes so often. We fight our fellow human beings Sadly, it happens in most churches. Christian fights Christian. They disagree over something and it escalates into some great conflict and sometimes a very, very bad outcome as a result of fighting another human being very often over a fairly trivial issue. No, says Paul, our struggle is not against flesh and blood human beings. The real struggle in which we're meant to be engaged is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's a whole army in the spirit world against us and against human beings in general and Christians in particular. This evil spirit, Satan, is the enemy we have to come to terms with. He's not only active, he's aggressive. I love that verse in Acts ten thirty eight, where Peter's preaching in the home of the Roman soldier Cornelius, and he says, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, Peter could very well have said that Jesus was healing all who were sick but he specifically says Jesus was healing all who were under the power of the devil and we do not know and we cannot know to what extent Satan is behind the sicknesses and illnesses that vex us in this world well, we know when sin came into the world sickness came with it and that was all due to the activity of Satan in the beginning John 10 10 another of my favorite scriptures When Jesus says the thief comes just to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, said Jesus, to do the exact opposite. To give people life in all its fullness. But you see, while we delight in the fact that Jesus has given us life in all its fullness, we mustn't turn a blind eye to the first part of that verse. Where our Lord Jesus himself is saying, Satan is a thief. And he comes to steal take away good things from your life and if possible to kill and destroy it's as dangerous as serious as that and of course in Matthew 6 we read from the Lord's Prayer Jesus teaching his disciples to pray deliver us, literally rescue us from the evil one would he have taught Christians to pray that prayer if it wasn't necessary? of course not so we need this protection that we're thinking about this morning. First of all, because of the enemy we have. But secondly, I suggest, because of the ministry we have. You see, when we are saved from our sins and we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not just put on some spiritual cloud until you can float on cloud and nine until you get to heaven, and that's great. It's not great at all. Because when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He saves us from sin and he saves us for something. And that for something is that we might live our whole life for him and be his servants in the world. Bringing blessing where there is curse, bringing hope where there is despair, etc. Bringing the gospel where there is no good news of salvation. We're saved for something special that God has for us to do. And that, we can say, is summed up in the areas where our Lord Jesus is commissioning his church. We can turn, for example, to the very familiar words of Matthew 28, and find the Lord Jesus saying, after he rose from the dead, saying to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And again, if we go to the end of Mark's Gospel, we find a slightly different version of the same basic commission, where Jesus says, again after his resurrection from the dead, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Now here is Jesus telling his disciples, his people, what they can and should expect as they believe in him and go into the world to act in his name. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and they will lay hands on sick people and they get well. And in sending out the disciples at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said very similar things. He sent them out to drive out demons, he sent them out to heal the sick, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. It's sad that the church has largely lost the emphasis it ought to have on the kingdom of God. We have chosen rather to major on the word gospel. Yes, the gospel is a good word summarizing, of course, the whole message of salvation. The gospel is that through which we hear the words that bring us to Jesus. Yes. But the phrase, the kingdom of God, is so vital because it points us to a king. And the king is Jesus. And the kingdom of God is God's kingly power being released into people's lives and throughout the world. And that is part, an essential part, an important part, of the whole ministry of the church's teaching and preaching and so on. Now, how is all this going to be achieved? How are we going to fulfil the commission to go and make disciples. If these very potential disciples are having their minds blinded by the God of this age and having their, mind, their minds and their whole lives, in fact, influenced powerfully and controlled very largely by evil powers. We live in a world which is absolutely shot through with conflict. We hear the news every day conflict in Iraq conflict in Syria conflict somewhere else I don't you know when I hear the news about what happens in our own beloved country and hear almost daily of another murder someone's got murdered somebody's been raped and I say Argh! if only they had had the protection it would have made all the difference but they had no protection they were sitting targets and they've been attacked and damaged and in some cases put to death The lack of protection is a serious issue in our own lives, in our families, in our communities, throughout the world. So how are we going to achieve this ministry of protecting people that we're thinking about this morning? Well, that's why we read Ephesians chapter 6. Because, you see, it begins in one sense with the armour we wear. I wonder how many Christians, I wonder how many of us here this morning have what we might call a military mindset. How conscious are you and and I that we have been called, among other things, to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just his friends, not just his people, not just his servants, but also his soldiers. We've got war in our hands. And the sad fact is, If the church was making a better job of exercising its military mandate, there might be less evil rampant in our British nation today. I believe there would be. So, to the armour. Here is Paul teaching Christians that there is an armour available to us from our God, and it's so important that we should wear it. I heard to my horror yesterday in the news of a, a climber who'd gone climbing in the mountains of Scotland in flip-flops. Well, well, well. No wonder he had to be rescued. A soldier doesn't go into battle wearing his holiday clothes or his wedding clothes or any other clothes. He goes into battle wearing armour for his protection in the field of battle. So, what is Paul teaching us here about putting on the full armour of God? He says the purpose of this is that every, every conflict should end with you still standing. If the conflict ends with you lying on your back, half dead on the floor, while well, you've lost, the conflict should end with the believer still in place, still standing secure and strong. So, here is the armour stand firm then he says with a belt of truth buckled around your waist Now, the Roman soldier this was the first piece of armour he put on And top of his actual clothing he had to put on this belt which was a very important part because other parts of the armour were attached to it the belt is called the belt of truth and that in a sense is where our armour needs to begin and you say oh I know that's easy that's easy I, I believe the bible oh yes great But it's not just about that which is objective and apart from us. The Bible is something apart from me. But the minute I become a Christian, I'm encouraged to start reading this book, feeding on this book, imbibing this truth. But the sad thing is that some Christians, they imbibe the truth of Scripture, and it all stops up here. Their heads are stuffed with Christian doctrine, Christian teaching but it doesn't show in their lives. And if it doesn't show in their lives, then I'm afraid they've been wasting their time largely. So really what I what is being emphasized by Paul here is not things that are objective to us. He's emphasizing things that must become part of us and be influencing and changing our ability to function as soldiers of Jesus. So the belt of truth is actually my embracing truth to such an extent and it's not just I believe the right things that's a good start but having believed the right things I must work all this out in my daily life in other words I must live by the truth Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free the truth changes our lives that's what happens when the gospel comes to us in power and we're saved from our sins but the truth has got to go on changing our lives and it's going to change our perception. You see, how the unbeliever sees things and how the believer sees things are totally different. My perception when I become a Christian needs to be changed. I need to have a proper perception of God. I need to understand the nature of God and his, his, his whole omnipotence and omniscience and all that he is and all that he can be to his people. I need to understand the Lord Jesus, understand the Holy Spirit. But I need more than that. I need to understand also, as we're thinking about this morning, what is the nature of the enemy I'm up against. And more than that still, I need to understand who God says I am. Oh, oh. I've been told I have many things over the course of my life, not all complimentary, but um, understanding who we are is important. Understanding that we have a vital part in the purpose of God. One of the songs we sometimes sing that I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. It was said of King David, it's head in the book of Acts, that this man served the purpose of God in his generation. Are you and I serving the purpose of God? Not just in general terms, but in our daily living. Are we serving the purpose of God? And part, only part, but a vital part, part of the purpose of God is that I should remain day after day after day spiritually armed to the teeth. So if Satan springs a surprise on me, and he does spring surprises, I'm not going to be caught out. Not going to be caught with my armour off, unfit to fight. Hmm... So I must work out truth in my life, not just the truth about God, the truth about Satan, but the truth about me. What is God requiring of me? And what is God wanting me to do in his strength for his glory and for the blessing of others? Mm. Truthfulness must be a mark of my life. A person utterly committed to living by the truth as the truth comes to me in Scripture. Then Paul goes on to say on top of the belt of truth you need the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate was in two parts one which covered the front of the body and one which covered the rear so you were protected virtually all around and the breastplate of righteousness oh you say I know what that means Jesus is my righteousness hallelujah yes he's mine too the gospel reveals to us a righteousness from God which is credited to us when we become Christians, when we come to Jesus. You remember what we can read in Isaiah chapter 61? It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? Because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. So, put on, says Paul, Paul, the breastplate of righteousness. But hang on a minute. That righteousness that I have because of Jesus, that righteousness of His that is credited to me because I have come to know Him. Did I put that on? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. God put it on me. just read that in Isaiah 61. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. God put it on me the minute I came to Jesus. So what's all this about? Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The same principle as we talked about with truth. It's working this into my life and out through my life. In other words, it's a righteous life. It's not a life spoiled and weakened by sin. It's a righteous life. There's a sharp ethical demand here to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to make sure that day after day, I think righteously, I speak righteously, I behave righteously. Oh dear, a lot of us have failed that test, haven't we? A lot of us on many occasions have not been manifesting in our lives righteous living. The book of Proverbs says, righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. If that's true of a nation, it's true also of an individual. Righteousness exalts an individual. You see, when my life is sin-stained and messed up and I'm living carelessly, my life is far from righteous. And really, there are times when I feel I should just go away and hide in a corner somewhere because I'm just such a mess. But when I am not only made righteous with the righteousness of Jesus but when God by his spirit is helping me day by day and week by week to work out this righteousness in my life I can look the whole world in the face and not feel ashamed. Oh, clear conscience. Yes, yes. A soldier can't risk going into battle with a bad conscience. If Satan comes to get me and I have a bad conscience oh, you know, I'm weak. I'm weakened in the spot if my conscience is not clear. So the putting on the breastplate of righteousness is not saying, oh Jesus, I'm glad I've got your righteousness. Of course I'm glad I've got his righteousness. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying, work it out in your life. Otherwise, you'll be a weak soldier. Mm. Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. (laughs) And with your feet fitted with the readiness, that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, in any situation, especially in a war situation, readiness is so vitally important because we never know where, when, how the enemy may attack. And we better be ready. Well, how do we achieve this readiness? The Roman soldiers very often defeated their enemies. Why? And one reason was that they were better shod. Their footwear was added to by having metal studs on the soles. And these metal studs enabled them to go over the roughest terrain at speed. and not picking their way carefully in case they would hurt their feet. And very often they took the enemy by surprise because the enemy thought, oh, it'll take them to three days to get here. And they turned up the next day because they were properly shod. Oh, What is that going to say to us? Our feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. When I come to Jesus, yes, I'm credited with his righteousness. And Paul tells me that I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the war with God is over. I'm I'm at peace with my heavenly Father but it's better than that as you know because Paul teaches in Philippians that we shouldn't be anxious and uh, uneasy and frightened and so on because there's no need God will take care of things if we trust him and we're encouraged to bring everything to God in prayer and the promise is wonderful the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your mind and your emotions just imagine a soldier getting up to the front line and having to face a vicious enemy and all of a sudden he starts panicking. He starts being anxious about how his wife is coping at home and what's, what's happening to the kids. He suddenly goes into anxiety and fear and stuff. Immediately he's weakened. His attention is taken away from what he ought to be doing. His focus is no longer on the enemy. His focus is back home, the wrong place, at the wrong time. So, readiness comes from the gospel of peace. And the gospel, again, you see, when it's properly worked out in our lives, it's all this business of working it out in your life and mine. When the gospel is properly worked out in our lives, we experience the peace of God. We're not rushing around in a panic. We're not anxious. We're not frightened. Christians aren't meant to be warriors, you know. Some are terrible warriors. But it's not, it shouldn't be. Because we trust God. We know our Heavenly Father cares. He's promised to supply all our needs. How great is that? Oh yes. In addition, says Paul, to all this, take up the shield of faith. The shield was quite a large piece of equipment that was oblong and protected. It was like a door in front of the soldier that protected him from attack from the front and faith again you see is so vital it's not enough to believe in Jesus and know him as our saviour it's not enough to believe the Bible is true and every word can be trusted we've got to have a working faith that is trusting God every day all the time faith is an absolute essential ingredient because you see if I don't operate by faith what, do, what am I operating on? my own imagination, my own fears, my own feelings, but these are horribly unhelpful in the face of an enemy. An enemy needs to be faced with a sense of strength, of security. I need to believe not what my feelings say about me because they often say something quite different from what the Bible says. See, my feelings sometimes say, well, hang on, Sandy, you're only one and you're getting old now. You're just a frail old man. No! No! I'm a new man in Jesus Christ. And what's more, the Bible says that we who who belong to Jesus are more than conquerors. Hey, enemy, come on, come on. We are more than conquerors. We're not scared of you. Oh, oh. Yes. Faith. Faith that God will come through, that he will prevail. With which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, they used to set fire to the arrows. And... I fire the arrow, in the hope that the arrow would hit the target of the soldier and set him on fire, and burn him to death. But these these shields were made of leather, and the arrow stuck in the leather, and the fire went out, and the soldier was safe. And then take the helmet of salvation. Helmet protects what? Well, my head. My head. What was on my head? My thinking. Oh. My thinking often gives me a lot of trouble. Is your thinking giving you trouble sometimes? Mine does. Yes? Do you know I had a battle a couple of weeks ago? I thought I had reached a place in my Christian life where certain things would never bother me again. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I had to battle against some of the old enemies that I thought I had really nailed. But back they came. So you see, what goes on in here is so, so important. Because the enemy very often sows thoughts in our minds that we can't afford to hold on to or work out the helmet of salvation and remember salvation is in three tenses, past I have been saved from my sinful past future, I shall be saved in the future right through into eternity and I'm being saved right now at this moment in time God is my salvation now, I'm a saved man now by the grace of God and then after all of that take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God the word of God absolutely important what did Jesus use against the temptations of Satan he said it is written it is written It is written. and that's one reason why we need to memorise some scripture we need to have some scripture ready we need to have it ready here there's no use going to look for your Bible when Satan is attacking you it's too late then you've got to have something in here that you can draw on in an instant. And you see, I I love the fact that it's called the sword of the Spirit, not just because the Holy Spirit guided all those who wrote the Bible, but the Holy Spirit is guiding all the people who belong to Jesus, who read the Bible and want to apply the Bible. And if I'm in a tight corner and the enemy suddenly attacks me, it's as if the Holy Spirit nudges me and says, Take this weapon. And I know which arm part of the armour to take, which verse of scripture to take, what weapon to use against that particular assault from the enemy. And of course, pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Now it's obvious that prayer is a vital ingredient in the life of the Christian. That's very, very obvious from scripture. And we saw in in the Lord's Prayer... Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And not just teaching them to pray in some vague general terms, but to pray for specific things. And one of those things was, deliver us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil one. And if you remember our Lord Jesus, before he went to the cross, He prayed for himself and his disciples. John 17 is a beautiful passage of scripture. And there we find him twice in that one chapter, in that one prayer, twice he's praying for protection for his disciples. He says to his father, Holy Father, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, the disciples, are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one the Lord Jesus not only taught his disciples to pray deliver us from the evil one but he himself prayed that for them Holy Father protect them by the power of your name protection and he asked for protection particularly from one particular danger disunity pray he prayed protect them by the power of your name so that they may be one there are very few churches of any age you' are still that I call your baby church a young church not very long in existence but most churches who have been together for a little length of time have' had a dispute a fallout a disagreement and unity has gone out the window very sad. Many churches suffer from internal conflicts which destroy the unity. Now we are given, says Paul in the the scriptures, we're given the unity of the spirit. It's a given. It's given to us. We can't create it. God gives it. But we're called to maintain it. Keep, protect, preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It is too precious to risk losing. United we stand divided we fall and later in the same prayer you see Jesus spells it out what kind of protection he's looking for he says my prayer is not that you take them, the disciples out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one it's spelled out it is specific and one thing that aids our praying are the promises of scripture We're encouraged again and again in scripture to exercise this spiritual authority that we have in spiritual warfare. For example, in James 4, James writes in verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Luckily he didn't say that. He says submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And if you submit to God, you're safe if you try to resist the devil when you're not living in submission to God you're in danger I know that from experience so as long as we're living in submission to God we can expect to resist the devil and win James says submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you that's me winning him losing and in Second Thessalonians 3.3 3, a verse I've probably given you already but it's a very precious one where Paul Uh, teaches these these Christians in Thessalonica that he, uh, as many other Christians do, all other Christians do is experiencing difficulty and opposition, he says pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one, the promise of God is that he will protect us from the evil one, but the instruction of God is please ask for it don't assume I'll do it automatically, God says. That's where we often flip up. Oh, God loves me too much, to let me get... No, he doesn't love you too much. He loves, of course, us an absolute, perfect, glorious, heavenly love. But, he calls us to take appropriate action in cooperation with him. Yes. So that the armor we wear is activity and prayer, is the attention to the promises of God, and there is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another scripture that I never tire of quoting because it's so vitally important. Where the seventy-two had been sent out uh, on mission. in mission, back they came excited because it proved the power in the name of Jesus over evil spirits. Demons had disappeared at the command of Jesus. The seventy return with joy, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, in battle, in warfare, you may get wounded. You may, of course, even get killed. There is no guarantee, absolute guarantee, that We will not get wounded in battle, spiritual battle. We can and do get wounded, but Jesus said nothing will harm you. The devil may hurt you, but not harm you. So that should dispel any fear we have of engaging in spiritual warfare. Some Christians are dead scared of this. Mm. They avoid it like the plague. They say, oh, leave that to the experts, don't ask me to do that. But spiritual warfare is part of the duty of every Christian believer. And it's based, of course, our our victory is based ultimately always on the same thing. And that same thing is the victory of Jesus at the cross. Where Paul says to the Colossians, that, uh, well he says when you were dead in your sins God forgave you, made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code of this regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us he took it away, nailing it to the cross and and, having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross that is such good news that at the cross Jesus not only dealt with our sins, he dealt with our enemy. He disarmed. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He robbed Satan of his armor. In other words, I'm armed and he isn't. Isn't that a good prescription for victory? Of course it is. Two more things. Our engaging in the ministry of prayer of protection for others. And it's so vital. You know, those of us, we've all got dependents in our families. Some of us have children, grandchildren. We've got relatives who are either maybe just Christians who are very kind of frail and spiritually frail sometimes and a bit weak in various ways. We have people we know of and the Lord lays in our hearts and, and he calls us to minister to them in different ways and as part of our praying for them. And every day, I believe... We should be praying certainly for ourselves for protection and for any others the Lord lays in our hearts, particularly those of our own families for whom we're responsible. And underlying, you see, our willingness to take time and make the effort to pray for people in situations of need, underlying all of that is what is here in First Corinthians 13 where Paul teaches about love. That is God's love, heavenly love, has poured into our hearts. And He says it always protects. Love always protects. Those of us who are parents have probably experienced a fierce sense of protection for our children. And that's right, that's right, that's the way it should be. Anybody who's threatening our children, that should arouse absolute ferocity in our hearts. Oh no you don't. Most certainly you won't. We're naturally protective of little ones who are vulnerable and fragile and cannot protect themselves. And underlying that is our love for them. Why do I spend time every day praying for my daughter and her husband and their children? Why? Why do I pray protection for them every day? Because I love them and you love your family and you can pray protection on them also. And finally, the book of Revelation, which is a hard book to understand and interpret uh, because it has so much imagery in it. But here, there is this passage in Revelation 12. Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been huddled down. They, the people of God, they, the believers, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb when Jesus dealt with our sins by shedding his blood Satan's power over us was broken his hold on us was broken but that's not all they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony what Jesus did on the cross was 2000 years ago done for you, done for me, yes but I've got to appropriate that and I've got to apply it in the hour of battle If Satan comes and tries to convict me and make me guilty of sins I committed long ago that God has already forgiven, I remind him that my testimony is that the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from those sins and they're no longer an issue. And finally, the last little phrase is not unimportant. These believers are described like this. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words... Some Christians have known what it is to have the devil actually attempt to kill them. And that can be a scary thing. But you see, if we belong to Jesus, we know that if I die, I'm going home to glory. I can't lose. I can't lose. I'm a winner all the way. Even if Satan were successful in destroying my life listen we are equipped with spiritual armor we are called to spiritual warfare not just for ourselves but for others it's a vital vital ingredient in the life of every Christian let's pray father we want to thank you this morning for those who prayed for us in bygone days some of us been prayed for from our infancy onwards. We thank you for all those down through the years who have wanted to protect us from the evil one and have taken the time and made the effort to pray for that protection. We're so grateful to you for such friends and we ask that we in our turn in our generation may not fail others who actually look to us sometimes for prayer support We ask and we may not fail them, we may be there for them in the place of prayer. Teach us, Father, if we're not totally convinced as yet, just how powerful believing prayer really is. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.